0: You're an all star. Get your game on. Go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. Get paid. And all that winners is gold. Only shooting stars break the mold. Welcome to another episode of the Nro All Stars podcast. This is Barnsley, back for the weekly talk and footy episode. Episode seventeen of the talk and footy series for twenty twenty two. Really enjoying it. For those that are first tuning in. We've got the talking Footy episode each week. At the end of each week, it normally drops on a Friday. That's talking about all things rugby league. And then on Tuesdays, we record an episode for Supercoach Only, which is a TLT and strategy Supercoach episode, which drops on the Wednesday. But for talking Footy this week, we're actually recording the day after the Queensland victorious State of Origin Game 3 decider in Brisbane, where the Maroons triumphed 22-10. Would have liked to have gotten a Queenslander on, so we could have balanced it out a little bit, but unfortunately, it's going to be two Blues supporters talking about it. Luke Garrity's probably had over a month off, probably five or six weeks, but it's good to get him back. Luke, welcome back on board to the podcast, mate.
1: Cheers, mate. Good to be back. Um, I feel a bit hungover after last night. I wasn't even drinking. I'm just uh, emotionally drained and very tired from it. It was just a, an incredible decider, so glad to be on and talk about it.
0: Yeah, it was incredible. Um, I didn't sleep well, Uh, and I'm not joking. I was struggling to get to sleep for hours, but for those that uh, haven't heard Luke before, co-host of the Rugby League Cemetery podcast, talk about old games and games that maybe you've never heard of, and they go through it, and it's fantastic. But for this episode, Luke Garrity, we're going to talk about origin to start off with. That's going to be our first topic of conversation. Then we're going to go into half a dozen other big talking points in Rugby League, but what a game. You started to talk about it. It was an incredible game. Um, I just, before we actually get into the nitty gritty of it, you know, I, I thought it was a fantastic game. It's been thrown up there as, you know, is it the best origin game of all time? And I sort of pulled back a little bit and said, oh, you know, it's the best one in recent memory for me. You know, certainly the last decade's been more sanitized. Than some other classic origin that we've known in the past. Um, and I thought it got back to the to the good origin days. So I certainly think it's one of the better ones of late. Um, certainly there was some older games that I think recency bias kind of forgets about how good they were. But it was a cracker and had a bit of everything. Uh, and obviously a lot of carnage too with the, the knockouts at the start. We had the biff back. We had a tight contest. We had some big plays. It was a really, really good quality game of footy, which is often missed when you've got either Queensland supporters you know, going crazy, giving it to New South Wales supporters about how they won, or New South Wales supporters lamenting how they lost and having the shits with it. So it's often lost just the quality of rugby league, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right. It, it was fantastic. It was a really good game. Um I mean, best game ever is just, I mean, how do you judge things like that? Like, whatever. It's neither here nor there. It was fantastic, and I enjoyed it. Um, You know, it's... It's always the biggest decider ever or the best game ever, but it really, really genuinely was a very, very good game. It was very exciting. It was enjoyable in an old school way. Um, It's a way that they don't really let us enjoy anymore. Um, You know, we're not really supposed to be allowed to enjoy people being physically smashed that hard and to enjoy people fighting and all this sort of stuff. But everyone still does. Um everyone wants to see it and they want to do it. And for once, you know, in a blue moon, they've brought it back for one game. And I I loved it. It was such a good game. Um I'm not gonna lie, I love New South Wales and everything else. But like I don't feel as bad as I have honestly after some other losses because it was just like you're like at the very least, like that was just a good game. It was a great game of footy. I don't feel that, you know, we were robbed or anything. It was just like a really awesome game that you just couldn't fail but enjoy. And I just wish we came out on the right side of it. That would have been perfect.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it was it was a, it was a credit to both teams, really. I think both mm. Queensland and New South Wales both played a good game of footy. Um, and it, it, yeah, some people that might want to be negative about it might point out mistakes and different things. And we're gonna, you know, we're gonna talk about all that in a minute. But those type of things happen when you're in a really good quality contest, um, and you can sort of you know see that and enjoy it for what it was. It was you know a game where if we have a look at the stats very quickly, New South Wales end up with 48% possession in the first half. They're actually 56%. So I guess probably that was the first time where I thought Queensland had got a real good chance here because they're at home and you know the possession is going to swing. And they went from 44% possession in the first half to having 52% overall. Um, completion rates were reasonably similar, and in fact this it's remarkable. How similar all the statistics are. There's a couple that sort of really stand out. There was only eight penalties given, but there were four apiece. Nine errors given and nine apiece. So but everything sort of reads like that. Look, all the stats are really even. But when you have a look down the numbers, one of the stats that really sticks out. Queensland had 820 kick meters to so New South Wales is 579. That's a stark, stark difference. Uh, and that really stands out. Queensland had six line breaks. New South Wales only managed two, which is a huge deal when New South Wales really, I think, you know, Queensland had their strengths and weaknesses as did New South Wales, but I think everyone sort of thought New South Wales is a is a side whose strength is going to be able to score more points and put more points on the board, and we saw that in game two. But game three, you know, only two line breaks to Queensland six. That's a big standout too. So really interesting stats there for the game.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, New South Wales, I think that does stand up, that we can score more points, because I I, I put it to you that with the amount of uh, attacking ball Queensland had in the second half, if that was reversed, New South Wales would have won by quite a margin. It wouldn't have been in the balance with five to go. Queensland had the foot at the hammer. For about 20, 25 minutes, and actually just could not score, could not score. And um, due to how good New South Wales defended, they were very brave. But um, New South they just did such a good job of, of negating New South Wales' attacking threat by not letting them anywhere near the attacking line in that whole second half. They didn't get a look. Um, I came out of the game thinking, gee, you know, I mean, uh, Cleary and Tedesco and Cook and everyone didn't really put much attack on. And then, but then when you think about it, you're like, well, they didn't. That's not even a criticism. They didn't get in a position to do that. They were so camped away from sort of Queensland's end that I just don't think they blew a chance to score in the second half. They just didn't have one. Um, And that came down a lot to Queensland's kicking game. Mm,
0: And I I should jump in and say, like, there's probably two really good things to highlight there that I think that people miss. So it's really good to just jump in and highlight this. like, Because we're going to talk about a lot of negatives in a minute about New South Wales. But... Real positive was, like, I thought, I was very, very proud of the defence that New South Wales had. That online defence where they had set after set, it was remarkable. And likewise, to Queensland's credit, um, they controlled the area of the field and put themselves in the attacking area and didn't let New South Wales down the other end, like you said. That's a reverse of what we thought the roles of these teams were. You know, we sort of thought that Queensland could be that that gritty side that really defends really well and is just going to have that Queensland wall and camaraderie to just defend for each other. New South Wales did that really well, whereas, you know, for New South Wales, you sort of thought they were going to have um, that game management and attack where they were going to not let Queensland score and put themselves in the position to score at the other end of the field and stay there, which is exactly what Queensland did. So both those teams deserve a lot of credit because I think that they gave a couple little glimpses into, you know, real strengths of their games last night that we don't really always see. And for New South Wales especially, I think they're going to—they're they're all copying it in the media and everywhere right now, whereas there's very few people giving the credit for how staunch the defence was on the line there for a very long period of time in the second half.
1: Yeah, it was incredible. They did it all to themselves. It was entirely self-inflicted that they had to do it to a degree. Not taking away from Queensland who put them down there, but, jeez, they made a lot of errors that kept them there. But, yeah, that was incredible the way they held out. You would usually expect an NRL side to get beat by about 30 with the way they played in the second half with the ball. Um, if you just add up all the errors in the 20, I would expect most teams to get beat by 30 in that scenario. Cause you just expect to get run over um, from tackling that much, especially I know Queensland had players out as well, but they were down a guy on the bench and then they just spent, you know, 20 minutes camp there and they really did make it very hard for Queensland to win that game. So I'll give them a lot of credit for that. Um, but the big one in the game was probably Queensland's kicking game. Um, it, it, it's not an outpointing Cleary thing. It's a, it's a, just a tactic they used that worked very well. They kicked on play three and four a lot, which Cherry Evans is very fond of doing it manly. And I'm like the biggest proponent of this in the whole world. I don't think um, rugby league fans in general and teams and coaches, to be honest with you, understand enough how important it is to kick early sometimes because when you're stuck in your half, it can be 30 metres added because the wingers aren't back. You, you just, it's, it's that big of a difference. So um, he just kicked on play three and four, I reckon at least four or five times. Hunt did one as well where he got his 40-20. And all of those kicks were, you know, 20 or 30 metres added to it in one case of 40-20 purely because a winger wasn't back to catch it, um, which they, should, they can't be. And, and that really worked well for them, whereas New South Wales really didn't have much of an option to do that because they were coming out of their 20 a lot. They were actually on the 20 and 25, and he can't really be kicking from that deep. Um, Especially Queensland the second to, half. Yeah. No, you, you just can't kick from there. But Cherry Evans was managing to get them to the 40 and then bang, kick downfield, extra ground, start again. And they really nailed that part of the game and put a lot of pressure on New South Wales and um, really, yeah, just deserved winners. They, they made that game extremely difficult. But New South Wales, uh, yeah, I, I know they're going to cop it for a lot of areas, but this whole they don't get origin and Queensland are so tough. I mean, wake up yourself. New South Wales would like the way they defended was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And if you think they don't care or they don't have heart or get it, then you just foot crap. Like they, they were, <laughs> the, amount of, the amount of effort they put in was fantastic. Like take nothing from Queensland, deserve to win, but just spare me the hyperbole about it because they, they defended it was just really as good as I've seen, honestly.
0: Well, yeah. And that made it like, I, I think it, it was such a good origin game because both teams really stood up and That's were really it, yeah. good quality, yeah. you know, and it's, yeah. and both teams deserve credit for that. Queensland deserved the victory, but both yeah. Queensland and New South Wales deserve credit for putting on a great origin spectacle because it, it could have, it could have not been, you know, if New South Wales folded like a deck chair, like, you know, it, and I'm not going to paint the brush of, you know, this on the whole of the state of Queensland, it's only very few and far between people that will say, you know, oh, you know, you know all, all the things that you were saying. You know, I think most would appreciate that um, it was a tight contest and Queensland won and they're happy about it. But you appreciate that it's a tight contest because, you know, if they just went overboard and, you know, just killed them, then it would have been a really shitty origin and it wasn't. Both teams gave us a quality performance. But you started talking about players. Let's talk about the Queensland New South Wales players that stood out. Let's talk about the positives first. Um, Queensland, we'll start with them. They are the winners of the Shield for 2022. For me, looking at the backs, I'm going to highlight the spine as a big difference for me. So I thought that um, in this order, Ponga, Hunt and DCE, I thought Ponga was absolutely outstanding. Um, his running was, it, it reminded me of when he, uh, not when he first came into the league, but basically a year later. And it's really, Luke's groaning everyone because it's going to hurt him as a Newcastle fan because he never gets a seat for his club. But, um, probably when when Ponga was comfortable a couple of years ago, being a superstar, he's running was people couldn't touch him with the first or second tackle, and that happened last night. And he always had these options, and he always took really good ones. He scored a great solo try last night, but he also kept the New South Wales defence really on the back foot and gave everyone around him space and an opportunity. So I, I thought Ponga could have got man of the match. Um, I, I thought Pong could have got the medal, sorry, for the for the whole series because he played two excellent games. Uh, Hunt, I thought started off not very well, but he had a, those couple of really big plays um that again really are game changes in the origin arena. And DC, you mentioned his kicking game. Um and for all his faults and everything, his kicking game has been outstanding. And it just it kept New South Wales at bay. It kept the field position in in Queensland's favour. And you can see it in the kicking meters too. When long kicks were required, Queensland were getting it down there as well. Hunt had a forty twenty that was really big too, and obviously had the the, the match winning try as well. So uh, those, those spine players, like I'd go to, they weren't they weren't just good. I think the Queensland spine players, Apanga Hunt and DCE, were all better than what Nathan Cleary was. And I'm not trying to knock Cleary, but you've got to compare for the one game. And those guys, when we're looking at the backs and the standouts for Queensland. Those three completely outplayed Nathan Cleary, and Nathan Cleary was by far and away the best player in game two.
1: Yeah, it's a fair call. I was really, really pleased for Ben Hunt. Um, I'm a real Ben Hunt fan, and I I really hate the reputation he's got because – there's like, he's got flaws as a halfback and a player, like, like everyone, but you know, like everyone that's not Jonathan Thurston or Joey Johns or Cam Smith, everyone under that has flaws. They're not perfect. You know, they can, but you can still be a really, really, really good player. And he, he is a gun and he always has been, and he just gets this bad rap because he dropped that ball in the grand final Wayne, frankly, completely crapped the bed at Brisbane and dropped him to play Nickarima and was benching him, and he got this sort of calamitous rep. He went to the Dragons on big money and did like forgot to kick on play five in the finals and stuff. He's just got this habit of making really noticeable errors when he makes them like they're always in a game where you can circle them and say that's really dumb and it's really unfair the way that's followed his career as as he's become a bit of a punchline sometimes because if you just watch him week to week and understand rugby league he is a gun and he always has been and he's always been a good player um he's got flaws but there's only ever there's there's never been five halfbacks in the nrl better than him at any one time put it that way he's always in that Top group, and that everyone that doesn't have those three or four better than him would be begging to have him. You know, like half the cobs in the comp would kill to have him. And I just don't think it's been fair because I think he's always been good for Queensland. I think he's had a really good club career at different times, and I'm really glad he had a big decider and made a noticeable play at the end where people just now have to be like Ben Hunt was awesome and will remember that because his career just deserved it. You know what I mean? Like he's just a really good player that doesn't deserve the rep
0: he's got. Um, Taylor, it's unfortunate uh, too that, that he gets a highlight reel put up by anyone and inadvertently this, the the beginning of the highlight reel is always a yeah, drop bomb. Yeah, it's, and it just, it, it sucks because he's a player at the moment that he's right up the top and in the hunt to get a Dally M this year. Yeah. And I don't think at the start of the season and then the Dragons, you know, may not even make the eights, yeah. and he's still going to be in the hunt and, and no pun intended. I don't think anyone thought that Hunt was going to be in the hunt for the Dally M at the start of the year, yeah. but he, he fully is. Uh, and, like, Ponga was... Uh, I've got to go back to Ponga, uh, though, because I'm going to read uh, out his stats. And I'm, I'm sorry, Lee, read Newcastle <laughs> tragic. I I, I I want to remind you, and I want to tell everyone listening, because I reckon there's a lot of people that sort of, especially New South Wales fans, that would have just switched off at the 80th minute like me, not wanted to watch the fair and fair. And for the Queens, Queenslanders, you probably, like, drank or or partied for the next six hours and went to work hungover or tired because and didn't get a chance to look at the stats. So, Caelan Ponga last night, he scored a try. Everyone would have noticed that three line breaks, four offloads, sixteen tackle breaks. Also, didn't miss a tackle and also only made one error. Um, that that is absolutely outstanding for an Origin game that you know was a a four point difference until the final minute, and you know was fairly low point scoring as well. So, I mean, that's those numbers coupled with what he did um, for the rest of the series, where I thought he was quite strong. It was – I thought that he led the team. I thought he was the best player on the field. Ooh. So, you know, well done, Caelan Ponga. Hopefully for Luke, he pulls it into the Newcastle side. But astonishing numbers. It was an
1: Incredible game. That's why they paid him $1.2 million. They just sort of paid him to do that 15 times a year for Newcastle, not once for Queensland. Uh, but I'm not bitter. <laughs> um, he. That's Everyone knows what he can do That's the frustration The frustration with Kalen at Newcastle Has never been that he's not any good The frustration has been that the only thing Preventing him from playing like that every week Is him wanting to Or effort because there's no subtlety to Kalen. He actually makes mistakes. He threw the ball into the ground twice last night. He threw a ball into touch. But when what he does at his best isn't that playmaking and passing. It's when he just runs the damn ball. He, he can't be handled. You can't make up defenses to stop him because that pace and the step he's got equals power. Uh, he busts out of tackles. He surges out of the other side of them all the time. He snaps people in half with his sidestep. When he brought his kick returns back, he constantly beat the first tackle. Cleary would do those bombs, get it to the 10 meter line. And Kalen just breaks that first one so that we end up, that they end up on the 20, not on the 10 with him on his back. And it, it you can't really defend any of it because there's no defense to this guy just step me, you know, <laughs> it's too quick. And Yeah, And what that did last night
0: too, when when he did it, it was not just the metres that you make when you do that, but you put the defence completely on the back foot. So you might have a really good chasing line, but the minute that Kalen Palmer breaks the first tackle or two and then goes through, that extra 10, 15 metres is valuable, but what it does is it puts the defence everywhere because you have to converge in. And then all of a sudden, the first the first runner off the set taking the hit-up has got such an easy target to get those metres. And then all of a sudden, you've got really good plays that you can make because of that first run that Palmer brought back. And we saw that a number of times last night. We need to talk about the Pigs, Luke. I love the Pigs. We've got to talk about the Fords for Queensland. Um, oh, before we do, actually, I'm just going to say, look, I, I don't want to feel like I'm disrespecting Deirdre and. Seaton had a fine debut, and I thought that he went really well. It's just those other guys, obviously, were superstars and played like superstars last night. So, yeah, full credit to his debut. Um, and I'm going to throw another mention without talking about it. That I'm going to ask you, actually, like, I, listening to the coverage and looking at fans and everything, Carrigan got the medal for the series, right? We're going to talk about the Wally Lewis medal recipient in Carrigan because it's a remarkable story, and he played awesome last night. But one of the names I didn't hear at all, Luke, was Capewell. And for me watching the game, like the first half, especially like Capewell created a couple of different opportunities that actually put New South Wales on the back foot. One of them where he you know, had a good line break and he kicked through another one where I think he had a line break assist. Like he he did a lot and it, it was one of the better origin games that I've seen Capewell play. He also had a, a line break and try himself as well as his um, you know, other kick through that almost resulted in it. But Teddy got back there. Four tackle breaks, you know, it's. I just think that if watching that game, especially the first half, I thought Capewell was really good just to give someone a mention in that Queensland pack that I don't think many people talked about.
1: Yeah, he's a good player, Capewell. Uh, he's made a good career for himself. Um, I've never really understood why Cronulla were never using him and it's a baffle me a lot and I'm, I'm really glad he's sort of made his way into being where he is in the game now. But he, he's always good for them. He's always good in club footy. He's always good in rep footy. He's a very, very good player. I, I thought he played well.
0: And... Obviously, Carrigan. we need to talk about um, his numbers, three offloads, two tackle breaks, 47 tackles, uh, zero errors. And he also just, how he was running the ball, you know, 130 metres, 122 hit-up metres. He just, he ran the ball 20 times. Like, he was a workhorse, but he's also a guy that seemed to take on a real leadership responsibility of the pack this series um, and definitely last night. And he's obviously come away with the Wally Lewis medal, which is fantastic for him. Um, but it just, it's remarkable because he just come back from an ACL. He's a young guy and he's a guy who came into the Broncos this year, coming back from injury, who people didn't didn't think about origin necessarily. They were wondering whether he was going to come off the bench for Brisbane uh, and where he was going to fit in with Brisbane. And I, I know that our good mate, Wilfred that jumps on this podcast and is on the champion super coach podcast, you know, was a very, uh, negative, um, had a very <laughs> negative uh, thought on Carrigan for his first two years at the Broadcoats, which is a nice the way co- of saying. <laughs> yeah, he thought he was uh, not very good. But, um, you know, he's gone back on that now and obviously said, you know, this year it's remarkable how he's come back. Even NRL physio said, I don't remember a Ford coming back from that ACL injury and being this much better than what they ever were. You know, he's, he's now coming to an origin series and, you know, he would have just deserved credit just for making it based on everything. And he's still a young man, but... To me, he was the leader of that pack in the middle and he gave them everything. You know, there there isn't any facet of being a forward in origin that he didn't give you as a player. So I'd like to say that Ponga probably deserved the medal, um, but it's hard to argue against Carrigan and I certainly thought that he's the best forward of the series consistently over the three.
1: Yep, I I think he deserved it. Um, I don't think one super... The the thing with the... It was a weird series because Munster had an outstanding game and then a bad game and then didn't play and, and Ponga had a great game and you know, he was okay in the first one and poor in the second and clear. He had two sort of mech games and an incredible second. So I felt like a lot of superstars had moments, but no one owned the series. So that put forwards, you know, a good forward. who was good at all of them right back in the frame. Um, you know, there's a guy in New South Wales I thought could have gone close to getting it and I'll get to him later. But but Carrigan, I, I thought he'd be a good chance and, and he deserves it. He, he's a really clever player. Um, I watch him at Brisbane. He's got a really good combo with other forwards. Like he puts himself in a position whenever Haas runs that – wherever they get skittled, he always takes the next run and runs back at the space. And it's hard to describe, but he it's, it's, it doesn't just get the ball and run in a straight line hard and fast. He sort of looks at where the defense is, where it's a bit staggered, jinks back into the ruck of the space there, skips outside if people have, have missed their mark. He does little things to go with his physicality that make the runs a lot better than if you just run in a straight line at who's in front of you. And it, it, it sounds so basic, but a lot of people don't. Um, you need the mobility, you need the smarts to look up and see it. and He's very good at that. There's so many times that if the marker doesn't get back or the space behind the ruck or whatever it might be, he seems to go and find that space for himself and find those extra metres and get that play the ball. Um, and and that, that can make a really big difference doing stuff like that knowing to run after the big water carrier and finding that sort of space, when to not grab the ball and run as well. He seems pretty good at knowing when to pass. And he he's looks all set for a very good career as a top player. Oh, he's really impressing me this year.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, for me, those were the the, the best players for Queensland last night. Uh, People might agree or disagree. That's fine. We do need to talk about New South Wales now for a little bit. um, Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a pretty short list with the backs. Um, And controversially, you know, I'm I'm going to say the only back that I was really, you know, quite impressed with was Teddy. Um, And... It's it, it, people have to remember. Okay, I'm going to talk about Teddy, but soon we're going to talk about your boy Jacob. So don't worry, Saifidi is going to be coming up. <laughs> but yeah, good. We only made two line breaks in that game, and and one of them was was a Saifidi run, and the other one was Tedesco, and Tedesco had like two other half line breaks where he could have gone through just about. And Teddy really, though, like aside from a big forward barging over and, and doing some good footwork near the line, Teddy was the only guy I thought that even looked like he was going to go through a few times. And he was poking his nose through, and very few of us were uh, in that New South Wales team. Had 30 runs, which is way more than anyone else. Two offloads, one line break, seven tackle breaks. And realistically, you know, 292 all-run all, all metres. You know, he just, he really was everywhere. And I know that the knock on Teddy from some circles is, well, he wasn't passing or playmaking that much. But look, again, I, I don't mean to say this on the, every podcast, but it was the same last night in that game. There just was nothing there for him. And he wasn't in a position, you know, uh, half of his runs are hit-ups. There, there isn't positions where guys that he's passing it to aren't marked or in a better position than him. A lot of the time he had to hold the ball. And that was sort of his role because it was always the sort of side that was going to be focused around our halves um, trying to make plays. And sort of Teddy playing off the back of those a lot of the time. So the work that he did and how he was around the field was outstanding. But one of the things that always gets missed with players of Queensland or New South Wales, it doesn't matter, is the defence because everyone watches the attack and the running with the ball. He had a, he had two or three real big try saving tackles, one in particular that was a certain try. Uh, he he did really well with that stuff and he wasn't making errors either. He had zero errors last night. Um, I just, I thought that he was easily New South Wales' best back and probably the, the best player overall really uh, and we're going to talk about the other players in a minute but I struggled to, f- to think about anyone else that I was happy to talk about Luke as far as you know New South Wales game three performance in the backs um
1: as a positive yeah no only Tedesco um Tedesco anyone who's criticizing Tedesco is an idiot um Tedesco is, <laughs> that's why like, I bring you really on in like, like, because uh, you, you
0: tell it like it is give us the hot takes mate
1: no but just like it's just it's dumb and you're not watching the right. You just go and watch something else. If you don't think he's doing well, then you just don't, you're watching it all wrong. Like, it, he is one of the best. Um, he, he's going to go down as one of the best origin players of all time. He's going to go down as one of the best fullbacks of all time. He was outstanding again last night. Uh, it's not about highlight reels and plays. If New South Wales make line breaks, James Tedesco will be there 10 times out of 10 to finish him off every time if they're if they run over a team and there's opportunities he will always be there but it's his ability to be in the game last night when we weren't in it that impresses me so much and and that's something to go back to as, as someone who has ponger in my team at newcastle when things are going really badly mm, yep. um you want your what, what frustrates us is he doesn't run the ball and he doesn't sort of grab the game and try and change it. And Tedesco last night does everything in his power. He gets the ball all the time. He breaks tackles. He jinks. He looks for space. He's impossible to put down. He never makes mistakes. If you go through, he's always there. And he, he is just a phenomenal player. And I think that this will be controversial, but I w- I would have thought that he should have been close to being player of the series. I think the problem is that he wasn't man of the match in any of the three. And I think he was outstanding in all three. I don't think he went below an eight in any game out of 10 um and to me that in a series where if you've either got to have a superstar like a turbo or a pong or a monster or something get a couple of 10 out of 10s and that's your series but if no one does that the fact that teddy was in the top three or four players every game puts you in the hunt for that um and they owe him one because they took one off him to give it to billy slater a few years ago Mm. so they they owed him this one when when we didn't win but um that aside whatever whatever you think of that i understand that's controversial carrigan deserves it i'm not arguing that um teddy is always outstanding, was outstanding last night will be outstanding next year every time he plays. Wonderful player.
0: I, I thought out of the big guns and certainly out of the spine mm-hmm. players, uh, I'd say as far as consistency, looking at all three games and putting them together, like if you had a 3-2-1 for each of those games, for each of the mm-hmm. sides, for their spine players that you are marking, I'd agree mm-hmm. with you. I think Teddy ends up on top. Um, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I'm not going to go quite on the hot take that he. I'm I'm a bit old school where I think that the the winning team, as long as they have got you know really good players in it that perform, should get it as far as the medal goes. So well, they owe him one though because they took one off him. <laughs>
1: they they, got, they took one off him when we won. Uh, I do want game, him so. to get that one back. I think he's still <laughs> get got time. <laughs> he's still got time. Yeah, no, I, I understand. That's that's a fair enough call. But I, I think he should have. been... If you were having a meeting to sit down and pick one. He should have been in the chat. Like, he should have been tossed out and discussed and then maybe you still go Carrigan. But he was that good that he should be in that little conversation. You'd go, we have to talk about him as a mm. maybe, I think. Yeah, that's yeah,
0: that's fair. And yeah. well, look, yeah. it upsets me when there's um negativity towards Tedesco for this series because, to me, mm. like, it's it actually really it, – it's a big um positive for him because he's – he's been trying with the Roosters and it's been difficult because the Roosters haven't been going that well this year. And he's had the Mm -hmm. weight of that on him that he doesn't normally have. And at the start of the year, you know, there was a lot of fans that were going, he shouldn't even be in the side, you know, put Tom Bojevic at fullback and, you know, or get Pappenhausen in. And there was a lot of people saying this and he's a captain of the New South Wales side. And he's taken all that and come into this origin series and he's had a very, very good series, and you know that's yeah. it, it's a, he had a lot of pressure on him for it, and I, I think that he deserves a lot of a, a lot of credit for it too. And he's also captain of the New South Wales side too. The Fords. Um, now, this was a hard one because, like, I would I would probably say that we agree that Murray is probably the best Ford as far as talent goes in the New South Wales pack, and they lost him early. I almost feel like this. I never thought this was going to be a controversial take, right? And then I've chatted to a lot of people today. And apparently it is. I thought Junior Paulo in the first half was the best middle forward on the field. Now, second half, he fell right off and he made a really bad error as soon as he came back on, and he was nowhere near as good. I acknowledge that. But just the first half, watching him, I thought that he was one of the big reasons why New South Wales are actually on top and why they're on top on the scoreboard as well, because his runs and everything. It was like that was a Junior Barlow of two years ago that really deserved. To be there, whereas this year I sort of thought he, he got put in because we needed him, but he hasn't really been performing that well. I thought his first half stint was outstanding. It was something like nine nine runs and the most meters out of any forward for that first half. So am I crazy for for seeing Junior Barlow as having that great first half? Because I'm not talking to anyone that's agreeing with me at the moment.
1: No, a couple of people told me today that he was really poor and I was like, what are you talking about? He was the best forward on the field for half an hour and in the second half we were on the back foot and he didn't get any chances. He dropped a ball and people sometimes mis- like confuse mistakes. It's like that Hunt grand final thing. People confuse mistakes with being bad, like overall. like You can do a lot of good things in a game and just drop a ball or drop it in the ruck or Something like that, as opposed to making 10 mediocre runs. Do you know what I mean? Like you could make 10 mediocre runs and 10 tackles where you nearly fall off and have a bad game, or you can have a really good game but make one knock on. And he had a good mm-hmm. game and made one really bad knock-on. And that's sort of different to playing badly. That's just a mistake. And 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 that I think people are missing that because he he the second half he didn't do much, but we didn't do much. You know, we were in the whole in our 20 meter line the whole time. Nobody took a hit up because we didn't have the ball. Um, and you know, but he didn't get as
0: many minutes in that second no, half. It, it, we didn't
1: have the ball in a good position to do anything. But but in the first half, he was strong. Yeah, he, he was he was a tearaway. He was the second best forward on the South Wales side. Um, in that in that part. <laughs> so, so let's
0: let's get to the bit. Let's leave the best for last. All right. I I thought that um, and this is something that a lot of people did agree. With. I. was pleasantly surprised being a Rooster supporter that Angus stepped up to the mark because I thought that Angus Crichton probably should have been starting on an edge the whole time. And I was glad that he got put into the side finally. And then also last night when Murray went down, I thought that he did everything he could to plug that gap, having to play those big minutes. Played 73 minutes, 17 runs, three offloads, and he was looking to offload more, which was really important. One of those offloads resulted in a a line break assist as well, which I think was Teddy's. Um, Three tackle breaks. 29 tackles. Um, he did have a couple of errors, but like, you take that with with what he, was, um, what he was trying to do and the impact that he had. So I, I thought Angus Crichton was very good. Um, but obviously, we need to talk about the debutant so I can let you speak glowingly for five minutes about a Newcastle player, which doesn't happen too often on the New South Wales fence, obviously often on Queensland with Ponga. Jacob Saifidi. Now, I'm also going to point out that absolutely everybody was smashing Brad Fittler um about this and we're going to talk about the coaches a little bit later. But everyone's smashing Brad Fitler about Jacob except saifidi <laughs> And except for you. Yep. You were the only person in Australia, actually worldwide I'll say, the only person worldwide globally, mm. uh, that said that Jacob saifidi can be good. And he really was. He he had a fantastic game. Like I said, aside from Tedesco's line break, the only other one was saifidi And he had a bit of work to do on that run. He beat a couple of players. Six tackle breaks, line break try. 24 of 26 tackles. The one error, which was, you know, he got he got raked over Coles for, but it was his de- debut game. He put up 13 runs, including that try that was a real backbreaker and gave us a chance to really put, be in the driver's seat to win that game. And he also put on some great hits. You know, the, the, as soon as he came on, he ran over one of those Queensland Fords and I'm forgetting the name of now. Nanai. Yeah. Um, but Nanai, yeah, ran right over Nanai. And uh, you know, I thought he was absolutely outstanding. And I'm hoping that he can... You get these young guys like Jacob Saifidi that come in to have that sort of debut game, and you can see why Fittler wanted to pick him, because we really needed even more of what Jacob Saifidi was giving us from front rowers, and we didn't quite have it, which was another issue for well, New I've got South news Wales. for you. He's got twins, so we might be able to get it next year. <laughs> well, well, I'm hoping two things out of this, Luke. I'm hoping that Jacob actually carries the same form into Newcastle and keeps improving, because he's still a young man, and that his tw- twin brother goes, oh, geez, that's how I should be playing. And he's and Daniel actually steps up too because it would be nice if both of those guys keep developing because I feel like they've stunted. But if they do and they step up a bit more. Uh, that's that's going to be really exciting to have both of those potentially in the squad next year. Yeah. Um, humble pie, all of
1: you, uh, everyone listening, you know who you are. You thought it was stupid. All of you did. <laughs> don't don't lie now. <laughs> don't compliment him now and don't come back to me. I have been on this podcast last year and told you he was good enough to play State of Origin and he was underrated. I said at the start of the series when he was in the squad, again, that he was perfectly good enough to play State of Origin and was a really good player. No one listened then. They picked him. Everyone laughed all over the internet and cried-faced about Regan, Campbell, Gill and all this stuff, told you so. He is a very, very good player. Um, I'm not even saying, I'm not going to go the whole hog. I'm not even saying I would have picked him. I'm not even going that far. I just was really, really had my back up at everyone that was saying it was a joke and making fun of it because he 's good enough to be there now, everyone can pick a different team. We all can like we could have picked you know stags or or, or, or um the South Center over Crichton or whatever those are decisions different people can make. You could have picked Kimball Gillard over Safidi. People do that, but he was there was never it was never as dumb as people said it was. He was never a guy that wasn 't capable of being there. He was the knights player of the year last year, and the Knights made the finals pretty much off their forward pack they could they had the worst attack in the whole competition and made the finals because they had a good pack and he, he was the the player of the year. And that's in a year where his brother was, you know, um, got New South Wales player of the year or something, or won some award off the blues for being their best front rower. And he was the best front rower in the whole series last year, Daniel. So it's not like he wasn't playing well. And the other front rower in the team's David Clemmer. So, you know, it, he, he had a really outstanding season last year and he's probably not played quite as well as he can this year. So it was a pretty good, bit of coaching from Freddie to think that I can get that out of him on the day, that I can fire him up and get him to play well. Um, The Safedis are really good players, and for the 100th time, and I know – you know, I keep banging on about it, but there there is a Sydney bias in New South Wales of people just don't think about people who play for Canberra and the Cowboys and the Knights and they don't think they exist. I'm telling you, if Jacob played for the Roosters, nobody would, everyone would know who he was and no one would have thought it was weird he got picked. Um, he, he's, uh, you know, or manly or whoever. It, it's, it's not a, a, bias is the wrong word. They're just a bit out of sight and, and up here. That, mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's, it's, bias isn't the right word, but people don't, they don't get quite chucked in the media and the papers the way you would if you played for the Roosters or Manly or whatever, um, and they're not in your face? I'd say
0: as well, though, if, if Newcastle were more successful, it would probably help his well, cause it, too. That's and that's it. that's something that happens as well yeah, that, um, because Newcastle haven't been no, uh, yeah, it, as good as some of those no, player clubs. But yeah, without,
1: without banging on about it forever, um, I was so pleased and so happy when he came on and started going well because I, 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 it was just never a joke and it, it didn't mean he had to be picked. I'm not even saying he was in my team, but he can play and I'm glad everyone knows it now because his brother was the best prop for New South Wales last year. Um, Jacob was the best prop on the field last night, certainly on New South Wales side. So it would be fantastic if we could get them going again next year and get them playing well together because they've got this really good aggressive game. They come up and hit hard. They bump people off and it's really well suited the state of origin to have two guys like that to just lay a platform. Um, the fact that they don't pass, offload, or do anything else can also simplify the game for you. They can just play an aggressive style where you give it to them if you want a guy to put his bumper bars up, bumper guy off, and play it fast. And there's a lot of benefit to having those sorts of guys in a team with a bit of footwork and stuff. So,
0: um, well, yeah. I told you I'd give you five minutes to speak glowingly about Jacob. We've gone yeah, for seven. Enough. So, just remember, I told <laughs> you, so don't forget. <laughs> I think we got that one, yeah. Yeah, we got the memo. Um, look, we're going to have to get negative yep. now, unfortunately. You know, we've talked about the, the players that really impressed us for Queensland in Game 3. The You know, probably less players to talk about for New South Wales and rightly so because they were beaten, but we spoke about some good performances there. We need to talk about where, where... Where, Well, not where it went wrong. The players that weren't as impressive for New South Wales to me and didn't help the cause. And also, um, you know, I'm going to say outright, you know, we're going to keep talking about New South Wales here, Queensland fans, because... I, you know, Queensland didn't have players that you need to talk about as being an issue because you won the game, and I, I don't think there was many Queensland players that were below par, so you just had a really good game, um, and that's why there was more players to talk about for the good performances for Queensland. So likewise for New South Wales. I, this is where the Barnsey hot takes start. Okay, so this was a hot take that I had in Game One, and I was, you know, I was, I was buoyed by the fact that you know Fox Sports and NRL.com and all these places must have been listening to my podcast because um. All of a sudden, a week later, other people started jumping on the anti-Cleary bandwagon, and <laughs> I was quite uh, I was quite bemused by it because I was saying it straight after game one, and everyone was having a go at me about it. Now, look, it's a hot take. That's fine. I haven't seen many people, if any, pretty much after like after game one, that want to say anything bad about Cleary. But I'm going to do it, you know. And I'll always on this podcast, I'll just say exactly how I see it, how I watch footy, what I'm seeing, and what I think of it, and I'll just give it to you. And if you don't agree with me, that's fine that sport we can argue about it and then have a beer afterwards. But starting off with Cleary, you know, I thought our halves let us down massively in New South Wales. They really, really didn't deliver. And Cleary's done this again. Now all, you know, I don't, and this isn't like, I think Cleary can bounce back, but I'm getting, my confidence is eroding more and more by the year that Cleary is going to be like the immortal halfback that Andrew Johns is anointing him as because he's had a lot of opportunity on the big stage now. And we had a glimpse of him having his all-time game in game two, but he's followed that up with a really average game in game three, which was a decider where he's meant to be our best player and we really need him. And he's been around for a few series now. So, you know, I don't mean to to smash on a young man in Cleary that is obviously clearly a talented player, but he didn't create anything last night. And that's really important because we needed him to create stuff. And he just wasn't creating any opportunities. And aside from the occasional dart and the run, I didn't really see him taking very good options either. Like even the shape of the, the plays that he was running and things, there, there was nothing really happening. And to me, that, a lot of that falls on the halfback. Uh, and the other thing too is that his kicking game was off. And a few people are pointing out, oh, yeah, in the 11th minute, he had that bad one where we were attacking and he had a lot of time put in a kick and it went dead and it was a seven tackle set. But other than that, he went, well, no, he didn't. He actually had a lot of time last night. Um, Yo and Turbo, a uh, Turbo, did really well, giving him more time and some block plays and stuff to get his kicks away. And some of those kicks weren't making meters. And, and if you think that's wrong, go and look at the kick meters because the kick meters for Queensland were forty percent better than ours, and they were getting a lot more on that ball. Um, and and we just we we're giving it to Pong a twenty-five out from his line instead of on his line, and it made a massive difference to me. And I just. I I really cannot say enough that I think that Cleary didn't stand up and that's two out of the three games where he was below average to me. It's no good having a superstar game if the other two you're just not going to be there for it. You know, and that's my real worry with Cleary. You know, he needs to be the guy that he's leading us. Having said that, he'll be there next year. Hot take, I wouldn't have Lewi next year. I think that he's had enough opportunity. He did a couple of good things last night did a couple of not very good things. And we're going to talk about crucial errors later with the big errors after this. But just as, you know, his play, I think he's gotten a couple of series now. And I think it's time to just break up that bunch. I think there's enough good 5.8s that should be putting pressure on Luai. And Cleary and Luai just didn't deliver enough. So, Luke, is it a really, really hot take? Or have I got something here that maybe, yeah. you know, a few people might want to agree with a little Before bit?
1: Before I answer that, can I ask you who you think the really good 5.8s putting pressure on him are? Because I'm not convinced of that. So I'll answer, but I want to hear who you think should play for him.
0: Okay, it's so this is brilliant. going to be tough because um, you're, you're president of the Matt Burton Hater Fan Club. No, so. no, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm actually not. I'm, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm really not. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to go to him first. So okay. I'm going to say yeah. that um, Burton, we saw last night, being ineffective in the centres when, you know, he, yep. he's he been really good for two months. I'd go as far to say for the last two months of NRL, he's been the form 5 eight in the competition. That's so... Great. Um, I I would have um, Burton there at the moment. Um, There was probably someone else as well that I was thinking um, that escapes me, but I I tend to think there's a couple that should be putting pressure on him.
1: All right. Um, In general, I don't think Cleary was as bad as you do. Um, I I think that ultimately when you're playing halfback, you, you need to own the game, but you, I don't feel that in the second half that he or anyone in our spine had any opportunity to put attack on. I think they got totally, outplayed in the sense that the non-spine players or just the team in general kept making so many key errors in their own end that they played the whole of that half on the back foot. Uh, I think if there's a criticism, I think we had the better of the game in the first half and we probably needed to be on 12 or 18 and Definitely. maybe we let a couple of opportunities go there. And that's always been Nathan Cleary's knock. The the, the one thing everyone's got a floor and, 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 you know, um, uh, Maybe you know uh, his probably Thurston's might have been defence. Andrew Johns was a bit temperamental. <laughs> he put on fifty points, but also fall asleep. And and Cleary's a little bit is a little bit of class near the try line. He doesn't have that. When you get near a try line and you think about an Andrew Johns or a Jonathan Thurston, they have a bread and butter play that always works. Um, Thurston was the short ball to to Cooper. Andrew Johns had a, had, had the go himself sort of play or a, or a back inside ball to his second rowers and stuff. And Cleary's never quite developed a thing, like a short pass that always works. Cooper Cronk had one. He used to hit his back rower for fun. Whoever played right edge off Cronk just scored all the time at the mm. Roosters, Melbourne, everything. It, Cleary hasn't quite developed a play in the 20 that works eight times out of 10 that thing that you just identify with him that just finds you a try all the time. Um, And when you look, if if you go on a great halfbacks, if you went and said, here's 200 try assists from Andrew Johns, here's 200 try assists from Jonathan Thurston, what you will find, a lot of them are boring. They're not rainbow- spectacular heart passes and plays. They're really boring short passes to second rowers and stuff like something that just works a bazillion times because they've perfected it. They they sell it with their eyes. They know when to time and it's on. You know what I mean? Like this that.
0: But the, but um, they've called those plays too, which yeah, is another big it, knock it, on Cleary with him actually putting the plays in motion as well. Which no, I, so I'm just it's not seeing just a,
1: that's the thing that, like, you've got to have this boring thing that always works. Like, it's not exciting if you don't follow the game, but those those highlight mm. reels would always, 200 of it, out of every one spectacular try assist, a lot of them are actually boring because they're just no football and they pass it to a guy in a hole because they know how to do that. And, and that's where Cleary's a little bit short. But, um... That, that aside, I think he's an, uh, he's clearly, I think, the best halfback in the competition. Oh, of, he's course getting, he's never, he, of course yeah. he's not going
0: to be replaced or anything. No, I'm not saying it, that. But like uh, Ponga and Hunt and DC all outperformed significantly yeah, yeah. last night. And, you know, that's a big deal for him. He should watch else. those games and think
1: he should get better. I, I, the only thing, as I say, is I, I think he could have rammed at home harder, like I said, in that first half. But I, I don't think he cost us the game or was or was that poor because he played the whole second half off the back foot. I just don't think he had the opportunity to do anything, neither did Tedesco, as in an attack. Um, and clearly he can't do what Teddy does. He can't make 30 runs to show he's keen. Like, if you don't get front football, the halfback won't do anything. Um, and and he, I don't think that he had any chances in that second half. Neither did Cook, neither did Luai. They just didn't. So I, I don't think he was poor, but I certainly think if I was him, you could look at that game and see there's things I could improve on. If it, I would take, so I'll go halfway to where you're at and say, he should mm. look at that and circle some things that he should try and get better at and needs to improve on. But without, I wouldn't mark him that low. Luai um, is an interesting one. I think Luai is always an okay option because he's uh, he's always going to combine well with Cleary.
0: I he just has, thought of my other player, and I've got to get yeah. out there before I forget his name again. So if you don't want to put Burton there, see how Nico Hines goes there.
1: Okay, that's fair enough. I I, um, I think that Luai is there at the moment for, for a couple of... I think he combines well with Cleary. I think he has upside. Like, if you pick him... He's aggressive, he's in the game, and he will do some good things. Um, and he has in every, nearly every game he's played, he's done something good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that, and he does stuff that stands up because he's a runner and a stepper of the ball. He does stuff that will work in state of origin because it's simple and it just works in the space. So he's always going to be in the conversation. I think the reason he's there and that I haven't wanted him out yet, despite some, some deficiencies, is that I really don't rate Cody Walker at that level at all. Um, I don't rate Luke Kiry at that level at all. I have absolutely no time for either of them. I think they're so ill-suited to play or- origin football. When I say I have no time for them, I mean as origin players. I don't think it suits the title of football, um, and, and I don't want to see any of them there, and I don't have much time for Whiten at 5'8 at that level either. I think he's too short on creativity, and I think it's a really bad match with Cleary. It's because a terrible of, match with Cleary. Cleary he's yeah, creative yeah, enough. Like, that's that's, that's right. why I say
0: Burton or Hines. Yeah, that's
1: right. So so I've always had Luai because I don't think that Nico Hines or... Burton were in the conversation until now. Like, they, they are only just putting themselves in the frame this year. You could never have picked them before. So, Luai, Luai has deserved to be there. Next year, I, I would – if Burton plays well for the rest of the year and, and plays well into next year, then, yes, I, I would think that he would put a lot of pressure on Luai. Nico is a hard one to judge. Nico, Nico's a really dominant ball player. Like, even when he was fullback, he's a very dominant, hands-on sort of player, and I don't know how he'll go sitting on an edge, but – I don't hate it. So I I, I think that this time next year or a few months earlier next year, if Burton has a big, big season, I'd I'd be up for considering that move. I don't think it's a hot take to think he's under pressure. I think that's fair enough, but he'll always be in the conversation because he combines well with Cleary and he does do good things. Um, He can do something for you in a game. So he'll be in the conversation, but I would have no issue if they were picking an origin foresight, if they went with Burton.
0: Yep. Yep. And I mean, like, look, it's hard for me as a New South Wales fan because I keep coming back to, there's little things that happen in the game that you can sort of pinpoint to other people or whatever. But at the end of the day, if I look at what's the number one reason we lost that game, it is that the spine players of Ponga Hunt and DCE completely outplayed our halves and did all the things that our halves needed to do and we were nowhere close to them. And that's, that's the reason. You know, again, get rid of Ben Hunt's charge down try off Cleary. I'm not even going to blame Cleary for that. No, it was a four point game. You know, and we didn't, we scored 12 points. It's just not enough. And those halves should have been able to manufacture more. And I get what you're saying about the second half. And I actually agree with you 100%. But he's, but you know, Cleary and Lui, And I put more on Cleary too, because it, it's about where the bar's set, right? You know, yeah. if I'm playing half for New South Wales, I don't think anyone expects me to do anything. Uh, but if Nathan Cleary is, I think the expectation's high and rightly so, because of his ability and what he can do. And he needs to yeah. step up to that ability. And he just, he didn't. And I would say for the first 50 minutes, uh, New South Wales were on the front foot enough to be able to deliver a lot more than what we did in the halves. So that was my yeah. big issue there. But it, the hookers you mentioned too, and I, I thought they didn't have enough impact um, either. And this is the other thing that, look, I don't I don't think Damien Cook had enough time on the field, um, but he didn't do much when he was on there. I thought like, Appy did a few nice things, but you, you do have to question how that dynamic is going to work. Uh, And So I thought that was the other thing that sort of was not great for New South Wales too. A lot of people raise, you know, Whiten being in the side. To do that, you've got to drop one of the hookers uh, and that might have been an option for next year. But I want to roll through to these other three blokes, Luke, and get your opinion on it Um, because these other three blokes, and I'm not not the type of supporter that says the next day, drop these guys. You know, I think that's very unfair, you know, because there's another year away from an Origin series. A lot of things can happen next year. So I'm not going to say these guys should be dropped, But I'm going to say these are the three guys that I think are under pressure because I don't think they had good games last night. There were three really big errors last night. Talakai dropping the ball 10 metres out from our line. Um, Crichton throwing a terrible lofted pass that Talakai was never going to catch straight over the sideline, 20 out from our own line. uh, That was Luai, yeah, Uh, Sorry, Luai throwing a terrible pass. And, And Crichton throwing an offload that he was trying to do for ages and had a lot of time to, if he was really going to throw that, but really should have known better. But at the end of the day, he actually threw it to nobody. And it was a real brain explosion one. Now I'm again, I'm not one of those people to to crucify guys over one mistake, but there's different levels of mistakes. And those three mistakes were really bad ones because they're really close to our line and none of them were ever going to really, well for Crichton and Lui, it was never going to come off. Um, I think Talakai obviously, had a chance, and I'm not going to say he shouldn't have had a chance, but I, I don't think that he's played his way into consideration unless he like completely has a blinder of a year the next 12 months. Crichton, I would say, had an entire series to cement a centre spot, um, and he didn't. Um, and to me, like he got a lot of opportunity, and I don't think that Crichton really did much of anything for the series. I'm not going to say he was terrible, but I don't think he did much of anything. you know. And the other one that I'll throw in there that didn't really make a mistake um, that should probably be under a bit of pressure... I thought Liam Martin was pretty ineffective throughout the series. He only had seven runs in that origin game last night. um, And only a couple of them really looked like being, you know, decent runs on that edge. And if you're going to pick guys with combos, I would expect Liam Martin to find it easier to run good lines and things off his club halves partner. And and it just, it didn't happen. And if he's not going to do that off a club halves partner, then, you know, it's no point... Putting in a back rower like him, that's going to make fifty tackles, which is admirable. Because we've got other workers that can do that. You need that. We needed a tack last night, and our edges didn't have it on on Liam's edge at least. And I just don't think he impacted the game enough. Him, him, and Crichton and Luai, uh, I think, have had a couple of years now of chances. So that's why I say they're probably under pressure. But there were some big errors in there as well with some of those guys.
1: Yep. Um, just quickly, so you think there was three big errors? Was that right? Um, is that, that's, that what we got? Um, okay. are, so you going to, are you gonna are you bring up Tupot? Blue, tupo? blue red gonna... and white, blue, red and white goggles, just quickly. Oh, um, I was gonna bring at up the very at the very least give me four big errors. Come on. I know you love him, but you the can't The reason tell why one. I've
0: put two separately, <laughs> and I've got it in brackets here to talk about yeah. tupo, yeah, is yeah. because I uh, was gonna go on a rant after you talked about this <laughs> about how much Tupo was rolled over the coals for being terrible last night off the back of one drop ball yeah, okay. when I'll you, save you've, it got, <laughs> you've got every Queensland back three dropping at least one ball last game. Every one of them did. You know, yeah. like Tupo dropped one ball and it was a bad one. Unfortunately, it cost his try. It wasn't good. But wingers are going to drop balls. Yeah. And that's not trying to pass the ball 20 metres out. And it ignores the fact that he had 10 tackle breaks in 20, 20 yeah. runs and was better than any forward we had. So
1: Fair I'm still saying there were four major errors because it led to a try. It's got to be well, honest. Well, uh,
0: and also, you can understand there too, right? Okay, now that you got me on Tubo, <laughs> I had mates in my messaging me saying what terrible defence by Tubo and Valentine Holmes. He had to come in off his wing because Crichton was there trying to touch him. He thought he was playing tack. He still like, should have
1: made he should have made the tackle though. Oh, there's, there's two errors. He areas had to, he should he have had to come tackle. in there while he was marking him like,
0: like that was a Crichton error as well.
1: He did. Um, to get back on your on your major point, um, I'm dropping people after game three. Talakai won't play again. And I love Cha, like I love him to be. Um, <laughs> You can't play like that, you don't play again. In fact, one of the great advantages New South Wales has got is that we have more good players. Um, Queensland have great players too, and it's a good thing. but we have more depth. So we can try people, and when they're crap, there is no reason for us to persist with that at all. Um, there is plenty of other people who are hard-running, tackle-busting players. Um, if that's what you're going to dish out, get out. So he can go, um, but you compare that to Safiti's debut. You know, you, you can't, there's guys that you can pick. We have a lot of good footballers around. You can't debut like that. You can't play. He was carrying it one handed out of his own end. Um, he, he played the ball badly, he missed a couple of tackles leading up to the tackle that he actually made. That was a really good one where he forced an error. He'd actually missed a couple in the play um, and kept trying. Um, I just, not in the state of origin. So he can go, um, I think that – I don't think there's much need to debate Crichton because at the end of the day, Travojevic and Latrell and Mitchell are going to be the centres if they're fit. Crichton's not going to be in the – like, he was never going to be in the team. Um, and has he lost the backup status? Yeah, maybe. Um, I I I don't think that there's a, another great option to play right centre, to be honest with you. I, I don't look across the right – I don't think Staggs is – Notably better or worse than him, I don't think.
0: Campbell Graham, um,
1: I, I don't. I, I know people like Campbell Graham. Campbell Graham's no, not for me. He's, he's he's a solid club player with no upside that I can see. He's not. He's solid. He won't let you down, but that's not what I look for in representative players. You have got to be better than. You know, you can't just not let people down. You got to actually be good. Um, but yeah, okay, like in the conversation, but like there's no one there making some startling case to be a better backup. Um, but he won't play if, if Tom Trevojevic and Latrell Mitchell are fit. Um, that's, I think that's an obvious yeah. one um, Liam Martin uh, Le- Liam Martin's not in the seven best players at Penrith like, I mean, he's not a bad player, I'm not actually having a go at him, but I don't know when it became like when he became an automatic selection for rep football, like he was on the bench when they won the comp he didn't even start last year for Penrith Like, he was on the interchange bench um, he was, you know, at, behind Queensland's edge back row, Capewell and he is okay but, but I thought that our edges were very short. I actually don't think Angus had a good game. I mean, he missed five tackles. Um, I don't think he was terrible, but I, I thought that's an area where we were short. I think Angus has become increasingly cumbersome with every year and lost a bit of agility every single year. He's got bigger and slower. I think Martin is the wrong shape to play on the edge. I think you want powerful runners at the football. Um, and we were short there. I thought we lacked a lot of punch, and I'd be looking at back rowers out there, that can bring that, um, you know, there's guys like, I'm not saying he should have been picked, but but th- this, the prototype is like a Tyson Frizzell who's powerful and runs hard and, and a coordinator before he retired. And, um, you know, Ola Kawatu's one that has that sort of game. Um, you want guys that are powerful and can run a line and, and worry people. And I think Liam Martin's more of an honest goer. Um, that you can pick if you're short. You know, like if we just didn't have a lot of depth, Liam Martin won't let you down. But I don't know when it became like an automatic selection in rep teams. That, to me, is a little bit baffling. I think there's better edge back rollers running around the competition. Um, is that harsh?
0: No, I don't think it's harsh at all. I think it's fair. I think it's fair that Martin got a go. I think he's had a go now, and that's why I think it might be time to move on because we've seen mm-hmm. what he can give. And what he can give is a real honest footballer, and I think that's a really good um, like statement that you made, to describe him as an honest footballer that's probably more of a 13 if he had some ball skills but like a 13 worker now like a Jack de Bellan, even or something like that um, and that's not going to work on the edges for, for New South Wales so that's why I throw him up there and I agree with you 100% we do need to move on to the last couple yeah. of points of this Origin series and game three you need to take a quick break to mention the partner of the All Stars podcast in Topspot, dot topsport.com.au you can go there today and have a look at 100% Australian-owned bookmaker that often has the best odds in market. You can also use a really easy-to-use app and download that on your smartphone today. But Top sport have fantastic odds but they've also got some great markets it's not just all about sport and rugby league it's also about racing as well where you can get some great odds but also if you're a super coach buff and you like betting on super coach you can bet on fantasy sports scoring there as well which is great so the player performance markets you can go over and under on scoring it's a different point system but it is based on the nrl stats so it's based on the real nrl stats that you can see each game and it's a real fun way to get involved if you like to have a punt too but if you're going to make sure you gamble responsibly but Make sure that you also, if you're going to create an account today, use the promo code from this podcast that is that is SC All Stars, all one word. Use that promo code when you create an account at topsport.com.au today. They'll know that you're one of our listeners and take great care of you because of that. But topsport.com.au, go jump on them today. We're going to talk about the coaches. I've got some hot takes about this one. And then we're going to talk about the controversy in the game. Coaches. I read headlines today on Fox Sports and a few other places that were like um, Freddie Fitler completely outcoached by Billy Slater, uh, Billy Slater's masterclass of coaching and all of this stuff. And I was just like, I must be crazy because like, I know everyone likes to pile on the coach of the Losing Origin series and stuff and everything else, but... You know, the, I've already said my piece on why I think Queensland won and why they deserve to win, and it was on the back of Ponga Hunt and DCE doing what Ponga Hunt and DCE would do if I coached them. So I don't really think that Billy Slater really changed or steered that side to victory or did anything. Um, he had, a, You know, it's good that he got a first w- series win. I think that he's going to be around for a long time and good on him for it, and he deserves the credit for the win and everything else. But, yeah, you know, I, I don't think it came down to the coaches, really, which is, you know, down to my hot take on why... It's disappointing everyone's piling on Freddie so much. I expect there to be some um, questions asked. Um, Certainly, you know, it raises a few questions and whatever. But I kind of laughed at a few of them because, like, when I'm reading some of these articles and even some of the comments, it's like, it's it's a total contradiction. Like, if you're going to have a go at Freddie as coach and want to sack him, you know, if you've got some good reasons, you know, I'll hear it out. And like, I'll agree with your opinion, even though it might be different from mine, but the things that I'm hearing, you know, the, the whole lost it at the selection table thing, right. It, it, I actually laughed out loud when I kept reading this because the selections that Freddie made that everybody hassled are ones that worked out. You know, the biggest one in game one was how's he selecting White and he's crazy, get him out, don't let him coach or White was the best player in game one, game three, the biggest selection drama. Jacob Saifidi, you're absolutely kidding yourself. Like you said, people were making jokes about it. He was the best forward on the field for New South Wales. Like, you can't say he lost it at the selection table when his selections that everyone was criticising actually worked out well, and it was other reasons why we lost. Um, everyone wanted Crichton in centre at game one. He was the first centre picked by 98% of people and 98% of the media. And he picked him, and now everyone's criticising how Crichton got in the side. You know and then there's a the whole well why isn't white in their game three which I laughed even more about Luke because it's like all you people saying this thought it was a terrible selection game one and now you're hassling him for not putting him in for game three when you're also not realizing that Burton was one of our best players game two we'd have to drop Burton or drop a hooker to put White in. Like and then I found it even funnier to finish off Luke that everyone was hassling um our go forward and stuff when immense pressure was put on Freddie Fitler to put Gerbo in. Um, to that second team. And Jake Travojevic, I gave credit, had a really good second game. But in this game last night, one of the other reasons to not pile everything on the halves is that our go-forward could have been better in the middle. And lo and behold, you know, Jake Travojevic didn't make any metres with his runs whatsoever. But everybody wants to point out, oh, bet he made 40 tackles. So what? You know, we know that he can make 40 tackles. The whole problem and the whole reason he wasn't there in the first place was because he can't offload, he can't tackle break and he can't make metres as a front row forward. And that's what... Brought us undone last night. You're having a go at Brad Fittler for that when everybody was screaming for that selection. So you know, I'm I, I, I'm going to finish my rant here, Luke, but I just think that people need to remember that New South Wales never wins a decider series up in Queensland, hardly ever. So you're asking Freddie to abut that trend completely. Um, if he went up 4-1 on his series wins in his career, that puts him on the best percentage ever equally with the best coaches in origin. To be 3-2 is actually... Decent, as far as the the winning percentages go. And for all the talk about, you know, Queensland being massive favourites or whatever, I'm sure if you talked to Queenslanders, they wouldn't think that massive underdogs. For all the talk about Queensland being massive underdogs, I'm sure if you talked to Queenslanders, they wouldn't have thought they were massive underdogs. And rightly so. They had a very good team. And that's just for bookies and punters, you know. It was a lot closer than that because it was in Brisbane. Munster was out, but Luttrell and Turbo were out the whole series. And then we didn't have Payne Huss last night either. So, look... (laughs) Fittler made a misstep here and there. There were certainly some selections that went wrong, like Talakai is probably a really good example where he did get it wrong. But it's just, it it doesn't add up. And I think that there's too much pile on. I don't think it came down to the coaches, Luke. I think it came down to the halves. Queensland's halves were way better. And and Queensland's game was way better with the performances from their players.
1: Yeah, I think that's about fair enough. Um, The Fittler stuff, uh, like... The, the thing people got to remember is that there's only two teams playing and one of them will lose every series and it won't be the same team every year. Like you won't win every year um, apart from one very unfortunate part of history. Um, like they win and lose and they swap all the time and someone's going to lose. And that doesn't mean that they don't know what they're doing or they can't coach. And Billy Slater would have done just as well as a coach and had just as good a series. If Nathan Cleary's chip kick had gone to Nathan Cleary and he scored under the post, and we won by two. That wouldn't have made Fittler a genius. He still would have made some mistakes and done some stuff well. And Slater still would have had a good series as a coach, like come in and competed. And and, and that's exactly. what it came down to. Someone does lose. Um, Wayne Bennett, I've just looked this up just, just because uh, Wayne Bennett's record is like 26 for 13 wins and 12 losses. So 50% for 13 and 12. Uh, Phil Goulds is uh, 14 and 9 for 58%. So like Phil Gould's the gold standard at 58% winning rate. Wayne Bennett, the, you know, largely considered the greatest coach ever and certainly Queensland's best coach outside of Mal, who wasn't doing a lot of coaching, um, is 13 and 12. So, I mean, like Fitler is one more than half the series he's played in so far. He's doing as well as some of the greatest coaches to ever coach origin. They don't actually win every year and they never did. Phil Gould lost to
0: Faddy's Nevels. In
1: 95, like, like, people don't win every series. Like, they just don't. Yeah, yeah. And Wayne Bennett loses, like, you know.
0: Well, everyone keeps bringing up 2022 as the unlosable series, and it was, but, like, other coaches like Phil Gould have done that. And you're bringing up something that happened two years ago, guys. Mm. Like, it's a series two years ago. At the end of the day, he's still 3-2, and he could have been 4-1, and I think that everybody still would have been out to get Fitler because of all the selections they didn't like, which, again, you know more yeah. often than not, ended up working. You know, it's just, it, you said it perfectly, Luke. You, Origin is a different beast. It's meant to be pretty even. You know, it's the best of the best against each other. And we just, New South was just lost by 10. And the first game they lost New by, what, right. 6 I four? mean, I mean if, like, Cleary, like, Cleary, if Cleary puts a it was, bomb it up close. at the end there
1: and we catch it, we, we might have won. Like, I mean, or the chip kick goes to him. We might have won the game. And that would have, in everyone's head, that would have made Fittler a genius and and Slater failed. And after being up 1-0, it would have been like he was up 1-0 and the young rookie coach you know, basically um, the pressure got to him and they weren't able to get over the line. That's what it would have said. And it wouldn't be true either. <laughs> it would just be that they, you know, that they, he did a good job. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: I'll give the Queensland fans like a heap of credit here too. Like the Queensland fans and the general Queensland in general would not be out to sack Billy Slater this year. In fact, if he loses next year and puts him at a 50% win rate, which will be below Fitler, uh, I guarantee that Queensland fans won't be calling for Billy Slater's head and nor should they. Like, that's a real positive from the Queensland support that the Maroons get um, and Billy Slater should be there. I I don't see a better option than Fitler right now because people have short memories that, you know, you might not like some of his selections, but they've actually worked more often than not. And yeah, I just, it does kill me. Uh, people might say that, you know, I'm going to, you know, not being negative enough on Fitler. Look, he deserves some blame. But at the end of the day, it was a really tight series that anybody could have won. You know, you have those games, you lose footy games. It's not, it doesn't mean you go nuclear and you've scorched earth on everything. You know, it's just, it's how it is in sport. But there was a bit of controversy. I want to finish on this for Origin Luke, because we've got a few other things that we want to wrap up. But the Biff, we got the Biff back. And, you know, there's two ways to look at it. I really liked having it back. It was really good. Um, I hated that Tino grabbed Burton and then, you know, five extra punches were thrown at Burton. And I think that, uh, that's been glossed over a little bit by Queensland. Um, but you know, I, I just, I like, I think it was great to have that back and the physicality and everything else. So, you know, it was always, um, nice to see origin, get back to origin that we knew and grew up with.
1: Yeah. Look, I've said this to you before on this podcast that like, uh, the NRL's obsession with mothers, is, and I said that people who actually like—if you don't like seeing grown men uh, hit each other hard and try to hurt each other and 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 try to to physically go after each other—then watch something else. And not as a criticism, just watch something else. You watch the, the news for you. This sport isn't for you. And that's like last night because anyone who enjoys rugby league who properly follows the game was standing up when that happened. In their lounge room, yeah, at the, the, you hear the noise at the ground. Like, it was absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. and it was absolutely. Oh, that's a, that's oh. eighty thousand Queenslanders oh, up on their it's feet. It's fantastic. And I was on my feet, it. and I remember it got to the. It, I felt like that half had been going for half an hour, and we had the ball, and I looked yeah. at my phone, and it was like. I was like, oh, God, it hasn't been that long. And I looked at the screen. I was like, it's only been eight minutes. This half's been going for like half an hour because it just, it gets everyone going. And like people, I I know that they can't do this. I know they can't wake up and say we stuffed up years ago and we're reallowing violence like I just get that it won't happen but that people like it like the people just like it, and they want to hit each other Um, I was at the Knights game last weekend when Clemmer was cocking his fist at um, Kuala Matangi and he was cocking it back and they were ready to unload him and you're looking at him and you're like they want to throw him the fans want them to throw them. Why, why can't they throw them? <laughs> the like, coaches know, don't like, want them to throw the only, anything because they don't the want to be the people fans. that don't want them to throw them are the people marketing the competition. But who will put it in the highlights? Like that, that game will be in the highlights yeah. for 10 years, but they'll be like, oh, it's very bad to do it. Very bad. I... Oh, all that fight that,
0: that, <laughs> yeah. will be in next yeah, year's yeah. package. But while they'll be going, and, oh, you can't do and, it. So oh, it should oh, be. I know, but it's, no. it, I know
1: you can't do it anymore, but I still love it. I know you're not supposed to love it, but I do. Um, and, and everyone enjoys it. I One good thing I will give Volandi some credit for is you can't take it back you can't go back I know you just can't announce punching is okay and they'll get murdered if they do that
0: but it's a sneaky little yes, loophole yes, he is sneaky. really
1: wound back the to, to penalties um and the fines and everything so he's like oh I punished him for fighting but but yeah but so, he's not getting him so we yeah. need
0: to talk about this because I think it's very controversial it okay a lot of fans don't realize because like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go outright and say it. You know, Tino had a field day last night, and people talk about the Luai standover yeah. is a bit grubby. Yeah, yeah, it probably was a bit grubby. Tino was a bit grubby too. Um, and Tino got away with it. You know, Tino actually probably would have. If that was a regular NRL oh, game, yeah. it would be. It would have been an all-time terrible Tino Fasamali experience there because he would have gone to the bin twice, and he would have. Uh, probably given away six penalties and he probably would have gotten four weeks on the sidelines. He's swinging arm tackle. Mm. Like if you compare that to David um, (laughs) Clemmer, come in with force with the arm direct to the head, you're off sent off completely. He has swung his arm where, you know, the player went low that he hit. I can't remember who he hit, the player went low, but he had plenty of time with Burton to know exactly where he was and where his arm was going. And he swung with a stiff arm direct to the head. Now, that that was on report and he got fined what ends up being like $5,000 or something. Now, Tino had a lot of that stuff last night. And there's two ch- chains of thought, right? I'm not going to jump on either one. So clean the leaders, Don't worry. I'm not going to smash Tino. But, you know, one is it's great. Get all that into it. You know, if you're allowed to do that stuff, get the physicality in, get the biff going, whatever. But the other one is, hang on, you know, like, you can't just go for gold and everything and step over the line that much, uh, and especially being, like, third man in and how that fight wound up, and then just get fines. Like, are we, by changing these charges where you're only going to get fined for an origin game because they don't want to be suspending players for their club games, and that was the the big change that Flendy's made that Luke talked about, are we kind of going too far? Where you are exposing this to, say, you know, having 16-0 swinging arms next year and, you know, too many fights and that sort of thing? How do you have too many fights? <laughs>
1: but, um, but yeah no, I, to, to answer that properly I, I think i i don't i think it's good they wound back like for punching i don't mind them just letting them off with a bit of a slap on the wrist so they can say hey we punished it we think it's bad but they didn't actually hit them hard but that's okay high tackles are different and the reason is um I, i'm not going to crucify him and be like you know like oh holier than now or you can't do that anymore and stuff you know like i grew up watching the chief and all those guys beating each other up and the chief never tackled anyone below the shoulders, but like. The reason you can't really let them get away with that, the problem I have with it is that Burton very well could have been made to go HIA for that tackle, Um, and that's the world we live in, is that an independent doctor – Burton can't decide to stay on. If an independent doctor thought that he was stung by that tackle, he goes off for 15 minutes. That's the game we're playing. You can't have a situation where they put him on report in a three-game series – but we lose Burton for 15 minutes. And I know it didn't happen, but it could have. It only takes the doctor's discretion. So if Tino swings an arm into his head and they go, you're on report, and he's like, cool, I'm getting a fine, but they don't have Matt Burton for 15 minutes, and they're playing short, and he might not come back at all if I hit him hard enough. Um, That's the situation. So when you have guys that are going to be HIA'd and taken off the field all the time, I think in those circumstances you have to use the sin bin on high tackles, regardless of how bad I might personally think they are or how much I don't mind it. You, you just can't really do it when it's going to take guys out of the game in a way we never saw 10 and 20 years ago, because 10 or 20 years ago you hit guys in the head and they just keep playing. But th- th- that's the problem. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and this is the thing too, that but even 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and, and a lot of younger fans will, will not know about this, but you would have assignments where a Ford will be like, um, you know, I, I played with Bobby Cooper's son um, and Bobby Cooper you know, ended up breaking someone's jaw and got, I think it was 16 weeks, 18 weeks, whatever the record is um, at the time back in the 80s or the 70s or whatever. And, you know, it was back in a time where your coach would say to you, that's who's playing number 12 today opposite you. Go in and take him out because he's their best forward. I want you to break his jaw. And they do it, you know, and you get guys taking other guys out to try and win the game. You don't want to really get, you know, like as much as I like the physicality and stuff, you don't want to get back to that. And I think that the common ground is that the charges, the way they've been changed, are fine, and it helps bring back some of the physicality that you want in origin, but it does put pressure on the referees to make the right calls and To me, I thought Tino was very lucky, like I thought that fight um you know Burton and Gagai had to go, but I did you know blame Queensland for the fight like i the Ponga contact was incidental Ponga was laughing about it. And Ponga actually steps into Burton's line of run, if you have a look at it, and and Burton's not even looking at him. Like, anyone that thinks that that started a fight is crazy. Gagai just wanted to go in there and and bust on because, you know, it's an origin game and you've got the adrenaline up and you want to have a go. That's fine. I'm I'm all for that. But the problem is that the way Tino ran in and did that and got him in a headlock during a fight and whatever, I'm not even going to blame Tino for it, right, because these guys haven't been in a fight at the lives on the field because they weren't allowed to before. So we've now got a generation of NRL players that don't know how to fight in a footy fight. You know, Hopefully they'll learn that You know, when there's a one-on-one like that, you might go in and tackle them or put them on the ground. Or you just stay out of it, though, and you just grab everybody else to let them go at each other and then it's over. You know. But we digress. My point is that Tino probably should have gone there, and that gives New South Wales an advantage while still getting a New South Wales player off as well. Um, but if he's not going to go there, he probably should have gone for the swinging arm for 10 minutes to have a rest because... That stops those type of taking players out and the HIA problems with that if you can remove someone for 10. So I'm fine with the charges being changed, but you've got to really be careful that the referees are actually calling what they need to to control the game still and not let it get too out of hand.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair enough. If that was a club game, I think that you would have got Burton in the bin, Tino in the bin, and I'm pretty sure Gay Guy would have been sent off because it's not just that he threw a punch. He sort of like, belted way out of his way to start something through a very like jobbed him on the jaw, kept going him and then kept going him again when someone had him in a headlock. And I'm not not actually bagging him. I'm not being, I'm I'm not going all new South Wales and Queensland grubs and stuff. I'm just saying if that happened in club football, I'm pretty sure he would have been sent off. It was on that level of just Mm. saying you are completely that like in a club game that would have been considered completely out of line. And that would have been gay guy brain snap, um, referred straight to the judiciary and he probably would have got properly sent off the field and the other two would have gone to the bin. And if they don't want to do that, they don't want to do that. But that's what the rule that would have been applied in the NRL. I'm pretty confident that would have happened.
0: Oh, 100%. 100%. And look, we want Origin done differently. And uh, well done, boys, for everyone getting in on the Biff and and making it a bit more physical. We all like to watch it. Forget about about what the NRL says and, um, you know, the fans can chip in. Start GoFundMe pages. That's 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 definitely (laughs) what happens. All the players start GoFundMes and we'll, we'll chip in for your fights. Um, match review committee charges from last round, real quickly. Clemmer and Brandon Smith. Um, now, Clemmer got a fine. I, I know that you're going to just go off on mm. this. So I'm going to limit you to one minute, Luke. That's you get a one minute rant because that, to me, that send-off was absolutely appalling. And it was, I think that referee is just completely out of his depth. And I've seen it over a few games now. And the NRL has come out and admitted it. But um, it's crazy to me that so many fans are saying it doesn't matter It was in the 80th minute. It does because if it wasn't in the 80th minute, that's something that's going to really impact the game and that referee is going to make the same call and think it's okay. So that was – it was just terrible and never should have been and never even should have been a sin bin. If you want to give a penalty, okay. I said on online I could have lived with a sin bin just because it's the day and age that we live in. But, uh, you know, like I could have lived with nothing. Like it was guys that were just getting physical with each other. Like – You know, it it didn't need to be done. And the match review committee obviously agrees that it was a nothing because it was only like a thousand dollar fine or whatever.
1: Yeah, uh, that was just ridiculous. I won't even rant about it too much. It was just ridiculous. Um, The 80th minute thing, the only thing that's off on that is that it it just, when they make really bad calls like that, it adds to it the grievances you have. I was at that game and the referee was appalling and Newcastle didn't deserve to win, didn't play well, but they got some shockers all night. And, you know, Latrell got away with a few high shots and a few sort of things he probably could have got penalised for and didn't, and that's fine. It was that sort of game. There was a bit of spite in it. And then at the end of all that, you just like our guy does something very minor, and he's like sent off. Like that, just adds to your real sense that you haven't that this hasn't been fair and it hasn't been right. And, and that's
0: I'll defend that's not, the referee a little bit too by yeah. saying that the bunker needs to take a brunt of this because the referee is yeah. relying on the bunker to review footage of what happened and say, "Yep, send him." And how could you
1: how could you re- review that and find that? No, nah. um, it, it it's um the only other thing I'll say about that whole thing. I think he got sent because he'd been in a Nilly fight, the play before. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you what, there's um, apologies if I'm butchering his name, Kuala Matangi, I'm not good with it. But um, you want to talk old days. What about Kuala Matangi and Clemmerite eyeing each other off Fist cocks going throw one, throw one for ages, then gobbing off like they're back 20 metres after it, screaming and yelling and yelling. South take a tap and Kuala Matangi shifts back to his right edge and takes the carry. Fair (laughs) dig him. And Clemmer belts someone else. who comes. I used to love
0: those ones. I used to be, I'm taking the next hit up. You come at me and you just hit the ball and you take the next hit up and you get absolutely built and you kill each other and it's great. And that's what you want.
1: Ran off to his edge And at the end of the game When they're all saying Clemmer this and that You're like mate Like sorry But South have lost All credibility <laughs> All credibility If you want to gob off And have a shove and fight, And then say We're going to go this And everything else And then you walk back To your edge yep. And let someone else Let a bench forward yep. Take your carry But no I, that, That's just rubbish I, I, I won't rant about it Because I actually think That I, I was really angry The next morning And then I actually Clicked on some comments And looked And I was like You know what Everyone seems to agree So and agreed uh, too. It, 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 mis- Yeah, And that's it Mistakes do happen and they owned that one. Um, I guess at least it didn't happen at a at a time that it really cost Newcastle. So um, It could happen at a yeah. time that it cost a team, though. I'm, it, 100%. And not... So I, it can't happen again. They have to
0: learn from that. It was a shock. So Brandon Smith, so you're a cheating bastard, was what he said to the referee. He's gotten three weeks for that, and I've seen a mixed bag of comments on it. I've been surprised at the amount of people, actually, that are fans that think that he should get, like, two months or the season and stuff. I think, yeah. I think that might be a bit of Melbourne Storm hatred coming through. Um, I also saw it compared to what um, Montoya said. Um, And I thought Montoya was dealt with a bit harshly as well, getting four weeks. But at the end of the day, I made the point that that's something that, isn't just unacceptable on towards the people on the football field, but what Montoya said is also unacceptable in the community. And that's a line that obviously <laughs> the. the oh, yeah, wants that's to, a very bad comparison. Yeah. But well, I, I mean, mean, I know what I'd rather, you know, you had a son or something.
1: I think, you know, which they you'd rather they said to someone. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, um, anyway.
0: but yeah. <laughs> I mean, three weeks. Uh, and look, I'm, I've actually questioned myself on this because I've gone back and forth. The, the closest that we've got, in recent times, which was 20 years ago, was when um, Gordon Tallis got sent off for, for calling Bill Harrigan an F.E. cheat. And he repeated Ooh. that a few times. And he also, as a big man, stood over Bill Harrigan, said it quite aggressively to him. And I actually thought they were going to get into it because Bill Harrigan didn't really step back very much from anyone. So it, he got nothing for that. Now, I know the game's different now and whatever, but it, I, I really struggle with it because to me, it, was, it wasn't aggressive. It was away from the referee. Send him to the bin, that's fine. Um But, for him to get three weeks, like I know you want to draw a line in the sand with match officials, but like to me, what he said isn 't necessarily questioning the integrity like i don 't think that he was saying you 're cheating you 're doing this on purpose, you put money on on top sport with you know the other team and all this sort of stuff. He just said in the heat of the moment, as an actual you know as a frustration as a you know trying to have a go at the referee, you know, and to it 's just you could give him a week if you want to line in the sand and say don't disrespect referees anymore and and find him 10 grand you know because to me a, a swinging arm like tino did in origin that, that does a lot more damage than what you know brandon been saying that did you know you can bring you can put someone out for six weeks with that swinging arm that tino did or more with a broken jaw you know so look i really struggle you know trying to look at that as three weeks when you look at some of these other tackles like the spear tackles that we've had that have been four weeks have been really bad you know so I'm, I'll, I'll go into bat back for Brendan Smith. I don't think that match officials should be disrespected. I think it needs to be, you know, sin bin. I think they need to pop something. But three weeks is, is quite a bit for me.
1: Yeah, uh, no, I agree. I, I, this, I know this is controversial, but, like, people um, – I think people just sometimes – there's a real bandwagon feel in the community in general now when people have an opinion they think people agree with. They sort of just say it so that people praise them, like – someone just says oh you should get the books around him you can't say that and then everyone just rallies around that opinion and repeats it Mm. and 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 it becomes self-fulfilling I don't I don't know if that makes sense but it's like no one really feels that strongly about it they just say they do like you can't who cares like I, I, I mean he should get they're gonna have to penalize for him you can't go around calling the ref a cheat but it also fundamentally doesn't matter that much at the end of the day like it's actually not a crime he hasn't done some heinous act that he needs two months for probably shouldn't have said that penalizing by all means but it's not some disgraceful thing that is going to tar his career or will never be forgotten and they need to set an example they just need to say hey you can't be calling the referee a cheat we're not going to accept that here's a penalty you know if it's a week or two just to send that message so be it but the amount of hoopla around it is a bit unnecessary
0: it is, and I, I, I throw something in another way to fix this too, right? Okay, when you are looking at um, the the sheets of everyone, the charge has been cleared every year, which was brought in this year. Um, do that, clear it with physical stuff um, when it's contrary contact or dis, or bring the game into disrepute. Don't clear that stuff. So if Brandon Smith says it again next time, like in a year, and you know goes off again, half cocked at a referee. You say, all right, mate, you did that last year. Now you're getting five weeks, you know, instead of the one week. You know, I think that's fairer because you want to eliminate the heat of the moment stuff and where you can educate players and get them to be more respectful and separate that from guys that are habitual, disrespectful guys that aren't doing the right thing to match officials on the field, you know? like, And I just think that we blur the line too much and we make too much of it. But I want to move on to the second last point before we talk about our legend rewind for five minutes. Tigers hiring team machines. Now, I'm I'm surprised that some people are, like, accepting of this. Um, I'm going to go on a mini Tigers rant here. Um, Tim Sheens hasn't coached for 15 years, by the way. Um, he probably might have a game coaching that might be suited to maybe a top six or veteran type of team, not a rebuilding team when he hasn't been in the game for that long at NRL level. Uh, I think that it's really bad optics as well, because obviously he's on board as a consultant to talk about who to hire as coach and whatever, and now he's got the job. Uh, But the biggest thing for me is that with the Tigers, it says to me that they have absolutely zero strategic direction, zero gumption, and I'll be blatant with it, no balls whatsoever to follow through on what they need to do to make hard decisions to rebuild that club. And I say that because for 10 years now, they've been irrelevant. And if they said 10 years ago, we're going to have to have a five-year rebuild, and that's how long it's going to take, it would be really honest of them and that they, if they had to take an extra six months to get the right coach, they take an extra six months, they have a few years of being really bad, they would be good now. But instead, every couple of years, they want to change course and say, all right, we'll start over again. But we can't wait five years. Our fans won't cop it or whatever. You're going to end up with 20 years because you don't want to make the hard decisions. And this, again, was the easy way out, right? We didn't get the one guy that we wanted. Look, let's just relent and just hire Sheen's. He's already here. Let's just give him the job and let him have a go. You know, your margin of this working is quite low for me. And I just think that they just have shown, again, no backbone and no strategic direction to say, we know where we're going and we can actually map out where this club's going to be and actually follow through with the plan.
1: You know, it's a bit worse than that. The news that came this afternoon is that they're going to sign Benji, who's going to take over in the last two years of his five-year deal as assistant to Sheens. So um, that's the first time I've ever, ever, ever heard of someone signing on as the head coach for 2020, like four. 2025 or whatever it is, 2025, um, three years in advance. They don't have a coach now, but they've signed someone for 2025. Um, so they're going to sign a guy who hasn't coached for a very long time at this level to mentor a guy who's never coached at any level, already anointing him to be the coach in a couple of years' It's not even time. like an
0: apprenticeship. Like a, like O'Brien at least had a bit of an apprenticeship and Soraldo's got a good apprenticeship. But she doesn't even have that.
1: No, why would you anoint him to be the head coach and that time now why would you pick who's next after Sheen's now um but no uh, uh, the the key the, the key thing there is that nobody else has approached Tim Sheen's to coach them um there's head coach positions now there's been head coach positions last year the year before how many times has Tim Sheen's been linked to any of those jobs in the last three or four years and how many times has Benji if that plans out been linked this year to any any coaching job. Nobody else is interested in the people they're hiring, and there is a reason for that. Tim Sheen's one of the great coaches of all time, by the way. Like, I'm not denigrating Tim Sheen's. Fantastic coach, done everything there is to do in the game. It is behind him um it it doesn't make any sense it it's you say the Tigers rebuild and everything else the Tigers never even bloody like they do now but they didn't even need one years ago I mean they started with James Tedesco and Mitchell Moses <laughs> like it's they just kept them and you know got a decent coach and a couple of forwards you're half on your way right and and they're they get further away every every year um I don't see the way up for them I, I think it The honest way out is um, not even a silly Knights or Bulldogs rebuild where you go to the bottom. I think they need to reset their goals. um, And I think they need to hire an experienced coach who's still current. Um, Even guys I don't like, like a Flanagan or someone similar, they need to sign someone and say, our ceiling is we need to become a gritty side who can consistently compete for the 6-10 to zone. We're that bad and that far out of it. We need to put a floor under ourselves under the next few years. We're a real success would be coming eighth, Mm. and we're in that 6-12 to zone and battling away in the way maybe St. George are this year and the Raiders have been in their bad rookie seasons, just a side that still manages to win enough to get a base level of performance and to build themselves into somewhere respectable again that can actually appeal to good players and good coaches because they won't sign a great coach or great players while they're like this. They have to put themselves back in a position where they're almost like, at the moment, they're such a negative to go that You have to at least be like, meh. I'll go there if they offer the money, you know, kind of thing. And they've gone beyond that. There's players and coaches that aren't like, oh, yeah, if they offer a million bucks, I'll go. They're knocking that back because it's such a basket yeah. case, you know, that they're not there. Whereas, you know, like a Canberra, if that job became available and you offered a million dollars to the best coach or like $1.2 million to Munster or whatever, they'd think about going there. The Tigers, that you wouldn't get Munster for 1.2. You wouldn't get Bellamy for $2 million to go and coach. They'd just say no. Like, that's the mm. thing. And so, to me, they, they need to build themselves into a respectable, normal, average team again, like, for a while. And they, this is a place that doesn't totally suck to actually and start to appealing the to top talent. To, to do that,
0: <laughs> they need to clean out the place at the top because they Probably, need to get yeah. some leadership. Yeah. They need to get some transparency to their fans mm. on what their goals are and have realistic goals and have a long-term plan and they need to follow through. I'll tell you a problem, and they problem need have they've
1: got. The, the big problem they've got, and Newcastle have it right now as well, with Newcastle and not getting out of it for the same reason, is the Tigers are, the Tigers are super well-supported. People forget that. They are a great mm. fan base. They've got so many fans. They're making money, and and their CEO and the, um chairman, they make money every year, and the Knights have the same issue. Ever since West took over, the West Leagues Club took over the Knights, they make money, and the team is yep. not performing, but the CEO sits back every year and is considered to have been done a good job because the the books look good. And it's infuriating because it's basically telling me as a Knights fan that the only way to get them to think they're going no good is to stop going, and I don't want to do that. And the Tigers fans don't want to do that either. Um, And there needs to be at some point they need to sit back and say, yeah, okay, you're making the club heaps of money, but actually fundamentally... We're not a private bit like we're not some business on the stock exchange. We actually exist to have the West Tigers win the competition. Like that's what we're trying to do. And yeah, we don't want to go broke, but we're not just here to turn over money. And and if you're not getting closer to that, then you are not doing your job. I don't care how much money you put in the pocket. It's we're not cold, we're not a 100%. Supermarket, you know,
0: no, <laughs> it's got to be more it's got yeah. to be about the footy, not the money. Yeah. And I 100% agree. And I'm going to finish off on the Tigers hiring machines and the direction they're going by saying, some fans, and certainly the Tigers might jump on this narrative and some media you know, might say, well, look, they wanted Ceraldo, They didn't get him. What do you do? They can't make people go there. Sure, but what you do do is that you don't just change your plan two weeks later and just give up. I will put to everybody that if you left Brett Kamali in that job for the next six months, you're not going to be any worse off because you're not contending for a premiership this year anyway and you're going to have a hell of a lot of options that come up in the next six months. That are going to be the type of options that you wanted. Someone will and coach the type them. of rebuild that you needed. Someone will come like there's,
1: there's 16 jobs in the competition. If, yeah, if you want there's a coach, going to be other coaches, someone will coach there's going them. to
0: be other ones. And there's going to be things that come up and a lot of things change in rugby league. A month is a long time in rugby league, let alone six. You know, there was no reason not to just let Kamali like, just stay there and just and stay course and see what happens. And you know what? If you wanted to hire Tim chains in a year because you couldn't get anyone, he's still yeah. going to be there. Well, it, yeah, yeah. it was just, it was knee-jerk, it was silly. Look, look, we have to finish off the podcast, so I need to get on to the Legend Rewind yep. for the to the end of the podcast. The last couple of Legend Rewinds have been for Queensland fans, um, in particular, the Broncos. We've got the great one-club man of Shane Webke, and we also got the great one-club man of Darren Lockyer. And the Darren Lockyer one got me thinking, you know what? Who is Darren Lockyer's contemporary? And at fullback, it was actually Anthony Minichiello. And a lot of people... Um, don't forget about the count, but I think that they they don't give him the credit that he deserves, uh, and I think a lot of that is just because you, you don't remember because he was he came through at a time that Darren Lockyer was there as a fullback, and he also started off as a winger. And before I even going to his accolades and everything that he achieved in his career, like one of the big drawbacks for Anthony Minicello was obviously. Um, when he got injured and and that I think, put a lot of fans off remembering him as fondly as what his talents should be remembered for. So he basically, he played like 30 something games between 2006 and 2009 because he had to get back surgery and, and that almost um, punished him a little bit in the eyes of fans, I think, in remembering him, you know, he, and not only that, he came back in 2009 after two and a half years, basically off, and he tore major ligaments um, in his ankle and fractured his leg. So, you know 2010 was really his first year back since 2006 where he's fit so he had a big portion in the middle of his career that was taken away from him but that's part of the story that I love about Mini he everyone knows that he was real into fitness and he was a massive professional and that was a huge deal because he went through back surgeries that were never done to rugby league players before and actually fought back and came back and he was fantastic for his last few years as a rooster so I'm going to read through his um I'm going to read through his accolades first, Luke, to talk about him. But he was a one-club man, 302 games he played for the Roosters, scored 139 tries, 19 games for Australia, but he scored 11 tries in that. So he had a phenomenal strike rate, uh, had 11 matches for New South Wales, cut very short, all of that because of injuries. So you can imagine what his numbers would have been like without that. But uh, he also went to six grand finals, which is amazing. And he also... I only won two of those, but still two grand finals is nothing to sneeze about. So that comes into what I remember Anthony Minicello as. He was a winner, and he also won the Golden Boot Award in 2005. And I will say, like, in 2005, it is up there with some of the better seasons that you'll see from a modern-day footballer. People talk about a Haynes season, a Slater season, a GI season, a Fitler season, Lockyer, all these guys. Minicello had that year. His 2005 year was absolutely outstanding and I remember being at a Bulldogs game and the Bulldogs were really good at that time around the 2000s and I didn't know what was going to happen my girlfriend at the time was a Bulldogs supporter I was a Rooster supporter we were there and I was like oh I hope we win could be close or you know I don't know how it's gonna go we won 36 nil I think it was or 35 nil I think we might have kicked a field goal and Minichello had like three try assists and a try and he absolutely just carved up And he won the Golden Boot Award for the best player of the year in 2005, and it was fully, fully deserved. That's how good he was. I am going to be outrageous, Luke. I'm going to talk about the style of a player that Minicello was, but first I want to hear your thoughts. I'm going to go out there on a limb and say that, you know, you've obviously got guys like Churchill and Langlands from, from many decades past that were right up there for fullbacks that deserve to be mentioned. Billy Slater is often mentioned as the number one fullback. I actually think that um on a talent basis on what uh, Minicello did when he was on fire he was everywhere every near as good as Billy Slater or any fullback that I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, he's a fantastic player. He also won the Wally Lewis medal that year in 05 for the player of the origin series. That was the Andrew Johns comeback year. Um in origin he was phenomenal. He, he was so dangerous off Andrew, that series. Um he was the Minicello was he was the best tackle busting fullback I've ever seen. I've never when he was good. Because um, I hated the Roosters then, because they were really good and the Knights were really good. Um, when he, he just used to throw about five or six players off him every run, like tackle busting. Like he'd come up at him and he'd use his upper body and just throw people off and throw people off and just go through and through tackles. Um, he was before he did his back. He was up there with the best fullbacks I'd ever seen. I think he does suffer from the injury because he came back as a really good pro and he got back to a really good level. Like he made rep football again. That's how good he was, but he was an all timer before his back. Um, and he was a very good fullback after his back. So it sort of hurts that he played so much afterwards and it puts the memories of the early years in the background, which isn't really fair because yeah, he was, it was absolutely outstanding. He was right in that sort of um that, you know, everyone's got a favorite, but he was in the, in my time, there's a group and you can pick if you want to pick Slater or Tedesco or Lockyer or Minocello or whoever, then take your pick. They're all, but they're all in that group. He's in that group with them. He was just so deadly and so dangerous and so fit and fast and just impossible to tackle. I'd never seen a guy that was so hard to tackle. Tedesco's up there sometimes, but he just, the, the, the strength he had the upper body strength to just get rid of guys on kick returns over and over and over and, over and get the roosters rolling onto the front foot was was something else. He always performed at state of origin level. He he always, he was a great pro and he's trained a few fullbacks now. He trained that on to Tuvasa Shek and then Tedesco. You can see a lot of their game in him in terms of positioning and backing up and everything that his work at the Roosters has brought that through. He, was, he never missed his mark, and I really value that in a fullback. I, I I'm very critical when you watch games and see guys make line breaks and no one's there to finish it because that wins mm-hmm. games and competitions. Um, and And Minicello never missed that and 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 you know and tedesco subsequently, who learned a lot from him, never missed that um and 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 that It says a lot that that a lot of guys with that level of talent sometimes cruise on it and don't do those little things. Turn that every corner to do those little one percenters that you have to do if you're not that talented. Um, You know, if if I was in the NRL, I'd have to do all those little things because I couldn't do any of the major things. But a lot of guys with with the talent don't bother because they don't need to. They'll have a career anyway. And he was one of those rare guys, those elite guys that did every little thing right um, and all the little one percenters on top of having that incredible ability, and and he, he is sometimes not put in that category, and a few people would scoff, but but he should be. He is pick whoever you like out of them, but put in that big group of modern fullbacks. He is up there with with Lockhears and Slaters, and certainly Tedesco's and and all those guys. Easy, easy.
0: He's he's right there. Yeah. And look, I, you know, I agree with everything you said. As far as the tackle busting, I think that's what a lot of people remember. Like he. There was teams actually had to come up with kicking strategies to not kick to Minicello oh, because he was devastating in broken field. It was play. awful. In the 2000s, <laughs> yeah. he was the most devastating runner from kicking to him as a fullback. Yeah. And he, he was like a pinball. It gets talked about a bit, the pinball, but he the was. The pinball's
1: perfect for it. That's exactly what it was. It was just bounce out of that one, bounce off that one, that one. You're going, off oh, for God's sake, like we kicked in the corner and now he's beaten, you know, they're back on the 30-metre line. Just tackle him. It's so hard to tackle.
0: And the amount of times that he actually ran through, and it was line yeah. break, which you just you have got no right to do um, in the modern game, even even twenty years ago. So uh, that was one thing. But the other thing too was he always had speed and really good finishing ability. And like his last his last year in two thousand and fourteen, obviously come back from all the injuries and everything, he scored seventeen tries, yeah. and that was the second most tries that he's actually scored in his whole career in a, in a given season. So that's how good he came back. But it was also how good his strike rate was, and how he could score. And he had so much pace. But you'd be forgiven for thinking he was one of those sort of wingers from 20, 30 years ago, It's uh, one of those fullbacks from 20 or 30 years ago who would just have pace and finishing ability. His defence was great, um, and he was a really smart and dedicated professional. But one of the things that he wasn't good at at the start, he was originally a winger, right? Mm. And one of the things that people need to remember about Anthony Minicello is the reason he won that golden boot in 2005 and the reason he tore apart the Bulldogs in that game wasn't from his try scoring or from his line breaks or from him being hard to tackle he actually was a guy that couldn't throw a pass and couldn't ball play at all. And I'd almost liken it to Tedesco when Tedesco was early in his career at the Tigers. And now he's gone on to actually become a really good ball player. And mini was actually throwing really good cutout balls to his wingers and and inside balls to his centers and different things. And he actually became really dangerous because of that, which a lot of people don't realize. Minicello was a full package once he actually got to 2005, he could do everything in an extreme level. And I love it because a lot of it was talent, but a large portion of it was work. You know, like GI had more talent than what Minicello did, but I don't think anybody in that era worked harder than what Anthony Minicello did. A lot of players' careers would have ended in 2007. He played an extra seven years after that to 2014. And instead of a seven-year career, he had a 14-year career where he played over 300 games, despite having like four years where he played hardly any. So uh, all-timer for me, you can have a look at all the accolades. He's got as many as as anybody, really, if you consider that he missed all those years. It's pretty amazing. And he's got several Roosters records on, on try scoring games played as well. He's right up there. So... Like, he was one of my favourites. Do you have any lasting um, Minicello memory to throw out there before we exit out? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not really. I think you said it, said it all. Um, I love him now. I loved him for New South Wales. And a good mark at that era is if I hated you, in the early 2000s. And I was, I was in high school around the time. If I hated you, it's a real, it's like a real compliment because the knights were good and I only hated people that gave us trouble. Um, it's when we were a good side. If I hated you, it was because you were like troubling us and making us not win games. And he was right there. Just be like, for God's sake, someone tackled Minichiello just so many times. He's such a good player. Such a
0: good player. And if not not for Lockyer (laughs) and his injuries, he he would have been like an Australian fullback for, you know, five extra years or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The The injuries hurt a lot, yeah. 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 So look, Anthony Minicello, fantastic career. Great legend, Rewind. Um, Great podcast, Luke. Unfortunately, the Blues lost, but well done, Queensland. Um, It was great to have a chat about origin. It's good that it's over now that um, New South Wales are lost. We can move on to club footy next time. But thanks for jumping on, mate. Really appreciate it. Loved it, mate. See you next time. Everyone can hear Luke as well on the Rugby League Cemetery podcast. You can download and listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, SoundCloud, and Amazon. Uh, follow us on Twitter, nrl underscore sc underscore all stars, and also jump on topsport.com.au and use promo code SC All They'll take great care of you and they'll have great odds for you as well. But in the meantime, enjoy the footy this week. We'll be back with our couple of podcasts next week, as always. Can't wait to chat to you again next week.